on Psalm chapter 51. Uh, we'll be there in a minute. And then we're also going to be in Genesis 45, but we're going to start in Psalm 51. So Psalm 51 and Genesis 45 are our are, are, are passages for this morning. <clears throat> if you couldn't tell, uh, or if you could tell, Ashley was a little emotional in singing that song, Trusting Jesus. Um, this has been a, uh, an emotional week for uh, our family. Um, we got word late last week that the um, parents of the um, four oldest kids that they are fostering to adopt uh, signed releases on the four older ones. So that means adoption can start immediately. So, uh, but there's still Elizabeth. Uh, the biological father signed off on Elizabeth, but the mother has not yet. So, uh, they're hoping to be able to uh, get that finalized as well. So, needless to say, in the the the, the near future, there's going to be a lot of trusting in God uh, taking place uh, as they um, are going to be able to transition uh, the at least the four older ones right now. Uh, into their family, uh, into our family. And, and uh, so anyway, thank you for those of you that are aware of that and have been praying for that. Um, appreciate that. Uh, also, I want to say this, tonight at 5 o'clock, uh, we will be getting together early before the service tonight to pray for the revival next week. Um, so if you can uh, uh, be here at 5 o'clock for that. <coughs> Excuse me, let me encourage you to do that um, uh, it, it is uh, it's important or anything but I, I want to I, so don't raise your hand um, but I want to ask you a question if God speaks to your heart through the message this morning not not through what I say but through his word if God speaks to your heart will you respond to what he says Let me challenge you with that thought. Because oftentimes what can happen is God will speak to our hearts and we'll say, oh, well, that, okay, thank you, God. I appreciate that. But then we walk out the door, and by the time we get to our car, we totally forgot what God spoke to us about. I want us to this morning to make a conscious effort to make a decision that, God, if you speak to my heart, I will do my best to, to do what you want me to do. Okay. Would you say that our world is changing? It's kind of a dumb question, isn't it? Especially in the last 50 years, it just seems like, I don't know, I, I love history, and there are, there are periods in history where things kind of change rapidly and then things kind of slow down. But it just seems like in the last 50 to 100 years, we have been on, on, on steroids. Yeah, there you go. I, I mean, it has just, especially it seems like with the onset of computers and technology, uh, you know, all that stuff. And, um, you know, I remember back when I was a building contractor, I got my first cell phone uh, and it was, a, it was this big thing about this it took it took up half the seat of my truck you know 
and, and <laughs> you know, now now we all have them in our pockets, you know, and it's just, and, and anyway, it's just, so technology has just exploded and, you know, medical breakthroughs have just been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, so, so I just, you know, I feel like the last 50 to 100 years has just been changed like we've never seen before. And I, I, don't, I don't mean us, but I mean as the human race. It just seems like change is coming exponentially fast. I know people that would swear up and down that all this change is evil and bad. <laughs> and then I know people that, you know, this, all this change, oh, it's a good thing. And, and, and you know, they, you cannot help but have things change. Things, things change. And we, we can't stop it. I read something a while back, and I found it very amusing, so I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, <clears throat> when the railroad was introduced in the United States, some folks feared that they'd be the downfall of the nation. Here's an, ex- an, an, an excerpt from a letter written to President Jackson dated January 31st, 1829 it says, as you know, Mr. President, railroad, railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour by engines which, in addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, roar and snort their way down through the countryside, setting fields and crops on fire, scaring livestock and frightening women and children. <laughs> if the author of this letter could be alive today. <laughs> and then he closes the, 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 the letter with this. The Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speed. <laughs> Martin Van Buren, governor of New York. <laughs> change is inevitable and the reality is uh, change can be a good thing and a bad thing it it just is there's nothing we can do that a couple weeks ago I talked about a healthy kind of change Uh, you know I, I talked about the fact that um, uh, my prayer life, uh, I can get in a, in a rut in my prayer life. And, and I, I purposely have to change the way I pray periodically just so that I don't get into a rut. So change can be a good thing, right? Uh, and, and in fact, it can actually be a, a healthy thing for, for many of us. <clears throat> change, change in my prayer life helps, helps my prayer life, uh, Stay vibrant and alive. And as I thought about that this, this week, I, I thought, what is another word for a rut? You know, because we can get into a rut, can we not? <clears throat> what, what is another word for a rut? <laughs> a ditch, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm in a ditch, not a rut. Um, no, uh, another word for uh, getting into a rut is, is uh, the word complacency. Can, can we not become complacent with our lives? 
And, and I think, I think that, now this is just my opinion, I think God periodically will shake us up a little bit to get us out of that. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, when I when I think of the word complacency, I think of the word I think of uh, King David in the Old Testament. David, uh, well, let's read it in in Second Samuel chapter eleven, verse one. It says, "And it came to pass, after the year uh, was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Jacob and his servants with him, and is and all Israel." And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. David had become complacent in his life. And, and, and he, 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 sent, he sent his army out to do what he should have been doing. It says here that uh, that uh, uh, when it was the time when kings go forth to battle, but David stayed home. Why? Because he had become complacent. The next two verses after after the verse I just read, verses two and three. Let's read those. And it came to pass in the evening time that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of uh, Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And, And those of us that know the story know that David here makes a major, major mistake. That led me to ask another question. When does complacency come into our lives? Or, or, or probably a better way of putting it, when is complacency more likely to take place in our lives? Huh? When everything's going well. And everything in David's life was going well. And that's usually when... Complacency takes place in our lives. When, when we're just kind of skating through life, no, prob, not, no major problems, just everything just seems to... You know, I don't know if you're, if you're like me. And again, this is just me. I'm weird. But when things are going too good, have you all ever done that? You're like, okay, what's coming? <laughs> You know, that's kind of how I look at it. When things are just going too good, you know, I I don't like life crazy bad or really, really good. I kind of, I just like it right there in the middle. That's just, that's my personality. Just, you know. But I I did something that I had never done before. I I have read this passage in in 2 Samuel many times, but I never really backed up and thought, what caused, David's complacency. So if you back up and you go to chapter 10, verses 17 uh, to 19, this is what the Bible says. It says, And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to uh, uh, Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel 
And David slew the men of 700 chariots and uh, of the Syrians and 4,000 horsemen and smote uh, Shobach, the captain of the host, who died there. And when all the kings that were uh, servants of uh, Hadadazer saw that they were smitten, excuse me, before Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians feared the children of uh, Ammon no more. So what, what happened here? There was peace. There was, there was no more conflict. David took out the enemy. And, and he, well, I said David, but his, the, the, the armies of Israel took out the enemy and there was, there was, there was no more conflict. So David, when it came time for kings to go forth to battle, David looked at his, his general and said, you know what, you, you go take care of it. I, I don't feel like it today. And what happened? Probably the biggest mistake David ever made in his life happened. He had, he had an affair with, with uh, Bathsheba, killed her husband, Big mistake. But in chapter 12, if you were to continue reading in chapter 12 and verse 7, God sent a man named Nathan. Nathan was a priest. And God went to Nathan and said, Nathan, you need to go confront David the king. And I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the Rick Lynn version here, so... <laughs> Okay, Nathan walks into the king and he says, oh, king, and he tells him a story. And David gets really mad and he says, tell me who the man is and I'll have him killed. He said, I'll I'll have him killed right now. Nathan looks at David, the king, sticks his finger in his face. He says, thou art the man. And immediately conviction comes into David's heart. And David becomes a very broken man. And, and again, if you're if you want to go back and read it all, it's it's an incredible story of just how God broke him and made him realize that his sin not only affected him, but the entire nation. Shortly after this this confrontation between Nathan and David takes place, David is so broken. He writes the 51st Psalm. Hopefully you have found Psalm 51. But Psalm chapter 51 is one of my favorite verses, or, or excuse me, chapters of the Bible. I read it often because it is an incredible reminder that because I'm human and I make mistakes, I can still get right with God. Psalm chapter 51, let's just read the the first 12 verses. It says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Now, I want to stop right here. And and as we we read these, these, these verses, I want you to listen to how many personal pronouns David uses here. My, me. My sin, okay? David, over and over and over, David acknowledges he messed up. Verse 2, 
Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and be clean when thou judgest. Behold, I, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceived me. Behold, thou uh, desirest truth in the inward part, and in uh, the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear the joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sin and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and upon me with... uh, thy free spirit. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. And Lord, we do ask that you would speak to our hearts through your word. Help us, dear God, to to see and to know just how much you do love us. We are truly thankful. We are truly blessed. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In verse 12, David cries out, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. David needed change in his life. David had messed up and and he 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 had confessed his sin and he had got it right, but he needed change in his life. And he was begging God to restore to him the joy of his salvation. This morning, the title of my message is Restore My Joy. Restore My Joy. And I love this passage. Again, I I love this passage because there are times where I need to sit and I need to spend time with God. And there have been times I have begged God, God, restore the joy of my salvation. When life is closing in on us, We can feel so distant from God, can we not? And there are times that we just need to be alone with God and say, God, I need you. To be perfectly honest, that's why we have a yearly revival. Next week we start our revival and that's that's why we do it. So that God can have an opportunity to restore our joy. Because the reality is this, God made us to be emotional people. Every one of us, whether we like it or not, are emotional to some degree or another. Some of us more, some of us a little less, but we are all emotional. And because we are emotional, our walk with God will fluctuate. Some days we'll walk with God very closely and other days we'll struggle. Sometimes we'll go for a week or maybe a month or even a year and have a a really good walk. And then all of a sudden, 
something happens and boof, off we go. And we need to be revived. We need to we need change in our lives periodically. So this morning, the purpose of this message is to answer two questions. What is revival? And do we need revival? So what is revival? Look at Genesis, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 45. <coughs> Excuse me. Genesis chapter 45, Joseph had become the prime minister of Egypt and had, was, had sent away for his dad. And, and anyway, I don't have time to tell the whole story, but just, just bear with me here. In verse uh, Genesis chapter uh, 45, uh, let's start reading in verse 24. And, and he sent his brethren away and they departed. And he said unto them, See that ye fall not by the way. And they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan and unto Jacob their father. And he told them, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. I don't know if any of you will remember this, but I remember growing up in the 60s and the early 70s. <clears throat> any of you remember a TV show called Emergency? Okay. That was one of my favorites, okay? Oh, is it? Okay, I don't know. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I used to love it. I, I love that show. And one of the things that I used to love is, is it, 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 every, in every episode it seemed like, I don't know if it, if it actually was, but it just seemed like it, somebody would have a heart attack or a car accident where their heart would stop beating and they would they would had this machine that they would pull out, and they had these two paddles, and they put this goopy stuff on there, and they rub it together, and then they stick it on this person's chest, and they say clear, and then they pow, and this yeah. poor guy <laughs> come flying off the, you know, jerking and you know, <clears throat> <clears throat> I love that show, uh, but anyway, that is what the word here in verse 27, it says, and his father was revived. The word revive literally means to be brought back from the dead. And those little paddle things, that's, that's what those do. And there are times in our lives where our hearts are cold. Toward God and God needs to take those little paddles and just kind of shock us a little bit. And that's what this word revival means. A revival meaning is for believers, if in in a sense, and point oh point number one here, if you're following, uh, uh, <clears throat> what is revival? Um, is is a is an opportunity for God to jumpstart us spiritually, if you would. 
like I said a minute ago, we are, we are emotional people and, and, and our emotions, because our emotions fluctuate, so do our feelings. Psalm chapter 51 and verse 12 again. Uh, I read it just a few moments ago, but let me read it again. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and upon me with thy free spirit. David also wrote in Psalm 85 verse 6, he said, uh, <clears throat> Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice with thee. Now there is one word in this in this in this verse that is really really important. And it's not the word revive. The word is again. Why why was David saying revive us again? Cuz he knew he needed it. And we as 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 human beings need that reviving periodically to keep us close to God. Stephen Olford wrote this, revival is an invasion from heaven that brings a conscious awareness of God. Revival is a time for us as a church to come together and ask God to stir our hearts. It is a time for us to self-examine, if you would, our own lives. After King Solomon completed the temple uh, that uh, God had asked him to build, Second Chronicles chapter seven and verse fourteen, God told. <clears throat> Solomon this, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That sounds like to me revival taking place in the nation of Israel. And God was telling Solomon, if, 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 if revival will take place within the nation, I will then bless the nation. Let me bring it down to us today. If, if revival will take place in a person's heart and life, God will bless the life of that individual. If revival will take place in this place, this church, God will bless this church. Howard um, Spring said this, the kingdom of God is not going to advance by our churches becoming filled with people, but by people in our churches being filled with God. I love that quote. Our desire should never be to have a building full of people. That should never, as a church, that should never be our desire to have this building filled. Our desire should be to help people find God and grow in the Spirit of God. And when we do that, God will fill this building. See, the reality is this we could fill this building. 
but would God be in it? See, revival is a special time for us to allow the Spirit of God to work in our lives so that we can go out and do the work of the ministry. Having a building full of people is not necessarily having a church. It's just having a full building. So, let me challenge you. This week with Revival, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, let me encourage you to be there all five services. You say, but pastor, and I know, I, hey, I've been there. I, I, <laughs> I, I teased somebody the other day. Hey, I used to work a real job. <clears throat> Being a pastor is a real job, by the way, just saying, okay? Um, but, you know, I, I used to get up early and, and, and work, you know, 12, 14-hour days. I, I know, okay? But I also know the importance of yielding to the Spirit of God. And I promise you this, if you will make the effort to go the extra mile this next week for a revival, God will bless you for it. I promise you. That's a promise I can make to you. Because it's a promise that God gives us. So, what is revival? Number two, do we need revival? Do we need revival? And the answer to that is absolutely. Absolutely, we need revival. You might be actually thinking to yourself, you know, you know, Pastor, hey, you know what? I'm okay right now. I don't, I don't need revival right now. I'm, I'm okay. I'm walking with God, you know. <clears throat> I want to, I want to share with you. Whenever, whenever there is a revival at our church, or, or even. Even when I go to a like a preacher's meeting where there's going to be preaching and, and so on and so forth, I always ask myself a series of questions. And I want to share with you the questions that I ask myself. And I want to challenge you to ask yourself these same questions with the revival coming up. The first one I always ask myself, am I closer to the Lord today than I was a year ago at the same time? Do I pray more than I did a year ago? Have I uh, allowed bitterness to come into my heart in life? See, these are questions I ask myself. You say, but wait a minute, you're a pastor. You're not allowed any of that stuff. (laughs) You know what? I'm human, okay? Another question I ask myself is, do I love others more today than I did a year ago? Do I love people? God has really actually been working on my heart about that. Because I can, I have, my personality is, tight, is, is such that I can get so busy doing the things that I need to do that I can walk right past people and not even realize they're there. I, that's just my personality. I get locked in on something and I, I have tunnel vision. 
And I have to ask God to take that tunnel vision away. Do I love people the way I ought to? How about this one? Have I shared Christ with somebody in the last year? Have you sat down and just purposely said, hey, I need to talk to you about the Lord. When's the last time you actually invited somebody to church? Say, but pastor, you're you're the pastor. You get paid to do that. (laughs) No, I don't. I do it because I'm supposed to. How about this one? How was my relationship with my spouse and family members? Now now I've gone to meddling. Here's one that I ask myself often. Am I really what people see? Does my life... What people see on the outside, is that who I really am? See, and this one, the revival is good for this because it helps, us, it helps us see that sometimes we play a game, do we not? Do you have a clear conscience before God and all men? And then the last question that I ask myself is this. Am I willing to ask God to speak to my heart through the preaching of God's word? I'll be honest with you. There have been times that I've, you know, I've been saved for 40, a little over 40 years now. And there have been times I've come to church absolutely zero interest in what was going on at church. Just being honest. Life happens. You can come become complacent super easy when life is going too well. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart clean. I am pure from my sin. This is a rhetorical question. What's the answer? No one can. You can't, you can't, you cannot clean your heart. Now, can, can we make changes to our lives and, and make, our, make us better? Yeah, we can work at it, but we cannot clean our hearts and most certainly cannot make ourselves pure from sin. Only God can do that. Psalm chapter 51 again, verses 9 and 10. In, 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 in David's <clears throat> repentant prayer, Uh, to God in Psalm 51, he also said this, hide thy face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. And I love what he says next, create in me a clean heart, O God. See, David realized that he could not create a clean heart within himself, that it needed to be God. And only God can do that. The Apostle John was <clears throat> exiled to a, an island called Patmos. And he, he, ended, up, he ended up dying in, uh, on the island. 
But while he was on the island, the apostle uh, John, God, God gave him a, a message for seven churches <clears throat> all over uh, Asia Minor. I, I believe it was Asia Minor. But seven actual churches that God wanted to communicate with. So through John, God had John write seven letters. And if you're familiar with the, the passage, it's it, uh, they, the seven letters are in the book of Revelation or the chapters two and three of uh, the book of Revelation. And if you didn't know this, John wrote the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos, okay, just so, so you know. Um, but as he wrote these seven letters, <coughs> God <coughs> was trying to communicate, hey, hey, you know, church number one, you know what, you're doing a good job in this area, but hey, you need, you need some help here. And uh, church number two, uh, you know what, hey, you're doing a good job, but you know what? You're you're a little slight here. So so they, they, these were not like bad letters until we get to number seven. <clears throat> church number seven was written to a church in a place called Laodicea. In Revelation chapter 15 and verses 15 to 20, it says, uh, it says this, he says, I know thy works, that thou art neither uh, cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So uh, let's just stop right here. So what God started through through John saying, look, I'd rather you'd be hot or cold, okay? Don't, don't be lukewarm. What, what's another word for lukewarm? Complacent. <laughs> Don't be complacent. Now, there's a reason for this terminology, and I, I think I have time to explain it. <clears throat> the town of Laodicea, or the city of Laodicea, was located in such a place that above it in the mountains, uh, there was a city up there where a river flowed into Laodicea they had cold, refreshing water. In the hills on the other direction, there was a town that had mineral springs that the water was hot and people would come from all over the world to go there for healing. And the water from these two cities would come down out of the mountains and they would mix in Laodicea. So the water in Laodicea was what? Lukewarm. So it was a perfect word picture for the believers in this church. They knew exactly, exactly what God was trying to tell them. Let's continue reading. So then, because thou art lukewarm or complacent and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Again, another picture. The people in Laodicea didn't drink the water in Laodicea. They would either go upstream where it was cold to drink water, or they would bathe in the hot waters coming down from the other city. <clears throat> then he says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with good, 
goods, <clears throat> I have no need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I have counseled uh, thee to buy of me gold tried of the fire, <clears throat> that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness uh, do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, and be zealous therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. I want to concentrate on the idea of verse 16. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increasing goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. When does complacency come into our lives? When everything is going okay. When we're rich and we have all the things that we need. That's when complacency comes into our lives. Back several years ago, there was a documentary done on the greatest generation. Y'all remember that? Why was the 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 generation that fought World War II considered the greatest generation? Because they loved the country, but because they came off the heels of the Great Depression. And then they went into the Great War, World War II. There was no complacency in their lives until after the war. But see, their character had been developed in the Great Depression and in World War II. Why has there not been a great generation since then? Because life has just been too good for us. See, conflict causes us to grow. And what, it, what Jesus is telling this church is here is, hey, you've become complacent because every, you, you're rich, you've got everything you need, but you fail to realize that in your hearts you're not so good. The church at Laodicea had become complacent. But Jesus closes the, the, the passage that I just read and, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. What This closing first to the church at Laodicea is a plea. And God, through John, is pleading with the believers that lay out of the sea and saying, hey, get out of your complacency. I want to know you more. He says, I'm standing at the door of your heart knocking. All you have to do is open the door. 
I'm here. Do we need revival? Absolutely, we need revival. Let me read you the quote from Howard Spring again. The kingdom of God is not going to advance by our churches being filled with people, but by our people in our churches being filled with God. Now let me close with this and I'll be done. Just a couple thoughts that I had and I I just want to read this and we'll be done. What does revival look like? Hopefully I've answered the question, what is revival and do we need it? Let me ask you a question. Let me tell you what it looks like. First off, it can be life-changing. Revival, when done with the, with the right heart attitude, can be life-changing. It is always followed with confession of sin and repentance. We see that in the life of David. The great movement, it causes us to have a great movement toward righteousness in our lives, evangelism, and social justice. Believers are often stirred in their hearts and their lives to spend time praying and reading their Bible again. And the powerful spiritual gifts that God gives us are oftentimes revived. So do we need revival? Absolutely. So let me encourage you. I I asked you at the beginning, if God were to speak to your heart, would you do what he asked you to do? I have no idea what that could be this morning. A little bit kind of different message this morning just because of revival next week. But it was something I felt like I needed to talk about. Because quite honestly, I've, I've over the last several weeks, I've been asked, what, what, what is revival? I don't understand what it, what it is. So I, want, I felt like I needed to answer that question. But let me encourage you to come, be part of it. But more importantly, let me encourage you to come with the right heart attitude. Say, God, speak to my heart. Because if you will do that, he will do that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, we, we truly need you. We, we, we need you, every one of us. And Lord, as we, again, we look forward to this time of revival, but Lord, let, let's put that away for just a minute. Let's just talk about here and now. Help us, dear God, to walk with you. Apart from the revival, apart from anything else, Lord, the reality is I need to walk with you today. And Lord, I just ask that you would help me do that. That you would help me to see my need for you in my life. There are so many sitting in this room right now, and I know of many this morning that are carrying heavy burdens. And Lord, I just ask that you would speak to hearts and that you would help lighten those burdens. Help us, dear God, to never forget 
what you've done for us. So truly thankful. With every head